I love you for that. Lord, please bless each and every Pathfinder today, their families, their friends. I ask that you please be real to them in a very special way. Lord, I ask that you would please open the hearts and the minds of those who are hearing and all within the sound of my voice, especially the parents of these young ones today. Lord, this is my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. We are living towards the end of time. Do you agree? We don't have much longer on this planet. Jesus is coming soon. And the sooner we are prepared, the better. I would like to say that we all are ready. I would like to say that I am ready, that all the Pathfinders are ready. That would be nice. But the truth is, the world is not prepared for the soon return of Christ. Some of us, I dare say, are not prepared for Jesus' return. Spirit of Prophecy tells us that God requires that the church arouse from her lethargy and see what is the manner of service demanded of her at this time of peril. The lambs of the flock must be fed. The Lord of heaven is looking on to see who is doing the work he would have done for these children and youth. Today's message is entitled, Restoring God's Image in Our Youth. We have lost the image of God, and it is up to those of us who've been entrusted with children, who've been put in the care of the youth, to help them in their process of restoring that image. Sometimes we get caught up. We get focused on the needs of the adults. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, adults need ministry as well. We have all sorts of clinics for them. We have praise time sung by them sometimes. We've got, you know, the, uh, the health ministries, the homeless ministries, and indeed, those are all necessary ministries. But sometimes we completely ignore the most relevant needs, and that is the lambs of our flock. Jesus would have that all should be saved. Amen? Amen? This world is not ready. This community is mostly unprepared. What can we say about our own children? Let us take a, work, a look at this most important work of restoring God's image in our youth. So, let us begin at the beginning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27 specifically. So please turn. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The King James Version of the Bible reads, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let us focus there on that. It repeats that same sort of idea in verse 27, that God went ahead and created man, male and female, in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Now, the Hebrew word for image is selim. 
And when translated, it means a copy or a resemblance, kind of like an appearance and in the same form. We, therefore, can take it that this word means that God made man as somewhat of a copy of himself in some way. Now, notice the word likeness at the end of verse 26. This is a completely different word. The Hebrew word for likeness is demuth, and it means that we are modeled after him. Um, It means that we have a similarity to him. And this is not just in copy and form, but this is in character. So we are formed after God's image and after his character, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Now, this was a great privilege. Notice that no other creation on earth at that point had been formed after God's likeness or image. As a matter of fact, up to that point, all creation had been spoken into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the land separate from the waters, and they did. Everything he did up until this point, he did through the spoken word. The Trinity created the heavens and the earth. But when they got to mankind, they held a little conference and they said, let us make man in our image. And at this point, they actually form man. I can't assume that they used hands, I'm not sure, but the dust of the ground was used. God didn't just speak us into existence. He took care. He was very, very purposeful um, with what He did. And it was a privilege bestowed upon mankind that no other creation had. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us that the Lord blessed Adam and Eve with intelligence such as He had not given to any other creature. He made Adam the rightful sovereign over all the works of his hands. Man, made in the divine image, could contemplate God. We could appreciate the glorious works of God in nature. This is something that we should cherish. We can actually contemplate God. Can we skip to the next slide, please? There we go. Now, down to verse 31. When God saw everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. So when He created mankind, He made us perfect. The image of God was upon us. God is perfect. Therefore, mankind, the creation, the creation was perfect, created by God. When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature the likeness to his Maker. And it was God's purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he would reveal this image. The more fully we would reflect the glory of the Creator. All of mankind's faculties were capable of development. Now, this is interesting because we are created very good. We are created perfect yet we were created with the capacity to increase. We could develop. We would develop and our vigor would increase for all eternity. Think about that. That is something very special. God had 
in mind for mankind, a privilege like no other. In the beginning, man was created in the likeness of God, in form and feature, but also in character. But sin defaced the divine image. We lost this privilege. Through the evils of sin, the image of God, the character of God in us was no longer. However, Christ came to restore that which had been lost. Amen? In the garden, Adam listened to the words of the tempter. He yielded to the insinuations and fell into sin. Through sin, the divine likeness to God was marred and very nigh obliterated. Man's physical powers were weakened, his mental capacity was lessened, his spiritual vision was dim. He even became subject to death. Yet we know this race was not left without hope. By infinite love and precious mercy, the plan of salvation was devised and a life of probation was granted. A ransom was found, God's only begotten Son volunteered to take the sin upon himself and make atonement for a fallen race. Why? Why would the Creator God do such a thing? He could have created another couple of humans. He could have created a whole other world if He wanted to and said, well, leave this one alone. Why would He come down in human form and atone for our sin? It's about love. And He loves us so much. He wanted to restore in man the image of the Maker, to bring him back to perfection, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul. Well, I look forward to heaven when we can have that eternal development where we'll continually increase in capacity and vigor. That was a divine purpose in His creation. This was the work of redemption. This, Spirit of Prophecy tells us, is the object of all education, and I would say the object of pathfinders. It is the great object of life. How many of you are educators? Okay, not just teachers. If you're a parent, a caretaker, grandma, grandpa, you are an educator. In the book, Counsels to Parents, Teachers, and Students, Ellen White writes, to bring man back into harmony with God, so to elevate and ennoble his moral nature that he may again reflect the image of the Creator is the great purpose of all education and the discipline of life. This is, in fact, what the entire Bible is about. The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other clusters, is the plan of redemption, the restoration in the human soul of the very image of God. From the first intimation of hope in the sentence pronounced in Eden, where God placed enmity between us, to the very last glorious promise in the book of Revelation, the burden in every book and every passage of the Bible is the unfolding of this wonderful theme. We must be doing this work for our youth. 
We mustn't neglect them because they are young. Our scripture this morning was in 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but instead set an example for them. Be believers in speech, in conduct, in love, faith, and purity. Counsels to Parents, page 46, says, there is no work more important than the work with our youth. That same book gives us an alarming, alarming call. It says on page 43, the church is asleep and does not realize the magnitude of this matter. That is a matter of educating our children and our youth. Well, I'm here this morning to wake you up. Amen? Do you think it will be easy? <clears throat> you know, I went to a prayer conference uh, this last year, and one of the presenters there presented his message in such a manner that I found it intriguing. So I'm copying a little bit of uh, his presentation. He would reveal part of the quote and then reveal the first half of the quote to get you thinking. I liked it. So here we go. Will it be easy? Spirit of Prophecy tells us that much painstaking effort will be required. So no, it won't be easy. And it is the work of restoration that will be difficult. While we do so, no startling communications of strange doctrines should be made to these souls. We mustn't confuse them. We mustn't try to indoctrinate them yet. <laughs> Say yet, because as they get older, they'll begin to understand the Bible. They'll begin to appreciate the truths that are found in the pages. But at such a young, precious age, they need to know the love of Jesus. The love of our Creator is foremost in everything that we should teach them, for everything that we should be an example to them. As they come to know Jesus personally and the love of God is in their hearts, then they shall be clinging to the truths of the Bible and we won't be able to separate them from it. But as we help them physically, the truth for this time should be presented. What is the truth for this time, the time in which we live? What shall we present? Men and women and youth need to see the law of God with its far-reaching requirements. The law of God is the very character of God. The character of God is love. The law is love. The law is perfect. If we can reveal to them the love of God through the law of God, the very character of God is in fact the very image of God which was instilled in us at creation. And this is how we can restore the image of God. Ellen White goes on to say in this same book, uh, volume six of the Testimonies to the Church, it is not hardship, toil, or poverty that degrades humanity. It is sin. It is the transgression of God's law. The efforts put forth to rescue the outcast and degraded will be of no avail unless the claims of the law of God and the need of loyalty to Him are impressed upon the mind and heart. God has required nothing that is not necessary. He would love to bind humanity up with Him. Psalms chapter 19, the law of the Lord is perfect and converts the soul. The psalmist also writes, by thy word and thy lips I have kept from the paths of the destroyer. 
Think about this now. In school, I'd tell my students, put your thinking caps on at this moment. The law of God is the embodiment of the character of God. The character of God is, in fact, the image of God that we seek to restore. We are made in the image and likeness. Means that once we are created, we are created to reflect His divine character, which means we were created to reflect the law of God. We are to have the law written on our hearts and on our minds. Once the law of God is restored, then and only then can we be recreated in the image of God. We cannot have the image of God on us as parents, teachers, counselors, or youth unless we have the law of God in our hearts, the covenant written on our heart and in our mind. Then and only then can we be the embodiment of the law of God, and we cannot reflect God's image without it. So where do we begin? How do we cause such growth? Where do we begin this painstaking effort? I say we should begin with those who have the most influence over the children and our youth. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. For those of you who are parents and caretakers, our work for Christ is to begin with our own family. It is to begin in our own home. Testimonies for the church, volume 6, page 429. There is no missionary field more important than our family and home. By precept and example, parents are to teach their children to labor for the unconverted. The children should be so educated that they will sympathize with the aged and conflicted and they will seek to alleviate those sufferings of the poor and distressed. Where does it begin? It begins in our own home, our own family relationships. If they, the parents, ever learn to do genuine missionary work for others, they must first learn to labor for those at home who have a natural right to their offices of love. Who deserves the love of parents more than their children? It is a natural right of your children to receive your love. Their own children are strangers to the Savior and His love. Wow. Well, surely this is talking about maybe the Pharisees of, of Jesus' day or the Sadducees, or the hypocrites, perhaps, the tax collectors. Christ's object lesson tells us there are fathers and mothers who are active in Christian work outside the home while their own children are strangers to the Savior and His love. This is a big warning. But in doing this, they are neglecting their own God-given responsibility. What are we doing? How are we neglecting this? The work of winning their children for Christ, many parents trust to the minister or the Sabbath school teacher, or I might even say the Pathfinder director. Is it really that bad to allow the pastor or teacher 
or Pathfinder director to work with and to mold your child's character? Is it a bad thing? No, no, it's not a bad thing. However, the responsibility was given by God Himself to us as parents. And I would say that we in Pathfinders love your children almost as much as you do. But it is your responsibility. The highest service that parents can render to God, this is a work that demands patient labor, a lifelong diligence, and persevering effort. What do you think is the work that is the highest service parents can do? There's nothing higher, absolutely nothing. This is the education and training of their children to be Christians. We are not called to the highest sense of tithing or missionary work outside our home. Those are not bad things. But if you are a parent, you have a God-given responsibility. I would even say a privilege to educate and train your children to be Christians. We are called to serve this church. No excuse for such neglect will be accepted by God. I think you might be able to guess. What do you think this neglect is? We are neglecting this trust and we prove ourselves unfaithful stewards. That is something to say. God is trusting us. We're always taught we should trust in God. Lay your trust in God, and we should. But God Himself is trusting us with our own children. These children are gifts from God. Ellen White tells us that we are going to be called for account. We will have to present them back to God one day and tell Him what happened. Wow. That might sound ominous. Do you think there's any hope? Christ's object lessons. Those who have been guilty of this neglect are not to despair. The woman whose coin was lost searched until she found it. So, in love, faith, and prayer, let parents work for their households until with joy they can come to God saying, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me. It's never too late to begin. Uh, we are to work for our children. Oftentimes, our children are working for us, but it should be the other way around. <clears throat> what does the Bible say on this matter of attaining a new character? Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. How do we begin such a painstaking effort, such a difficult work? The Bible has answers for us. In Colossians chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse 8, it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Pause for a moment there. To put something off means that you have to admit that you already have these on. 
a lot of us will look at these verses and say, oh, this isn't talking about me. Not in the slightest. But when we realize that we too are sinners, we too need a Savior. We are not perfect. We are not renewed yet. We are not in heaven yet. Each and every day, we as parents need to be renewed. And we need to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And now you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. We can be renewed according to God's image each and every day. We must make a choice to put off these things. Uh, if you look at verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. So now there's two parts. We put off some things, and now we must put on some things. And once again, we have to agree. In order to put something on, it means we are not already wearing it. So we look at this. We must put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love. This is the bond of perfection. Love was the reason why Christ came to this earth. It's the reason why we have Christmas in the holiday season. Why baby Jesus came here in the first place was love. When man lost the image of God back in the Garden of Eden, it was because of a perfect love that the plan of redemption was set in place. This is a proactive thing we must do. We must, with God's help, put off certain things and put on other things. And please think that I am not scolding. Think that I am not trying to point out. I am simply trying to say this is for our children. It's not about us as parents. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about our youth, the lambs of the flock. We do this for them. If you as a parent were called to do something difficult for your children, if your child had a disease, if your child had an illness, you would search through every hospital you could find. You would talk to every doctor you could think of. You would climb mountains in order to help them. The story of Naaman comes to mind when he's told a simple task to do. Just go wash in this river. That's all you have to do. But he gets upset. He gets defensive. Why do I have to do that? It's a muddy river. I'll probably end up dirtier than I began. But thankfully, his servants talk some sense into him. And they say, look, if the prophet had ordered you to do something difficult, would you have not done it? But instead, he's just saying these simple, just wash in the river. That's all you got to do. Just come to Jesus. Wash yourselves in the river of life. It's not a difficult task. And then we can be clean. Turn to 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians has some advice for us as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18.
The New King James Version says, But we all, with unveiled face, as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Whose image are we being transformed into? This is the same image that mankind originally had. So the question for this is, how are we being transformed? Because we cannot even start the work of transforming our youth if we ourselves are still not reflecting God. How do we become transformed? Paul is talking here. He says, if you're looking into a mirror, you can behold an image. If you behold the glory of God, if you see the law of God, if you can surround yourself with people who obey the law of God, and beholding, we can become changed. We are transformed when we behold the glory of the Lord. But we cannot behold the glory of the Lord if we do not look into the mirror. We have to see ourselves being changed day by day. And every time you look into the mirror, if you don't see the reflection of God's love, you have to ask yourself, why not? The more and more you reflect God's love, you will see it. It will influence those around you. It will influence yourself. And the more it influences yourself, the more you are changed. It's kind of a catch-22. The more you change, the more you will change further. By beholding, we become changed. Parents should make every effort in your power to place your children in the most favorable situation for forming the character that God wants them to form. The same is true for our youth. What they behold is what they will change into. Uh, we want to make sure that they are around positive influences, make sure that they are uh, guarding their mind and guarding their heart. The devil is at work in this world. He's the prince of the earth. He has all sorts of ways into the mind and hearts of the children. I would like to just <clears throat> add a small shameless plug at this point that I believe Pathfinders is a favorable situation. One of those favorable situations where they will see the character of God. They will study the Bible. They will study the law. I think I would love to guide and help your children as well. Is there a better solution than Pathfinders? <laughs> yes, there is. What do you think that solution is? I'm going to tell you a short story. And in it, you will find the solution to which I refer. In the faint light of the attic, an old man, tall and stooped, bent his great frame and made his way to a stack of boxes that sat near one of the little windows. Brushing aside some cobwebs, he tilted the top box towards the light and began to carefully lift out an old photograph album. His eyes, once bright but now dim, searched longingly. He patiently opened this long-buried treasure and was soon lost in a sea of memories. 
Setting aside the dusty album, he pulled from the box what appeared to be a journal from his now grown son. He could not recall ever having seen it before or that his son had ever kept a journal at all. Opening the pages, he glanced over the short reading. His lips curved in an unconscious smile. Even his eyes brightened as he read the words that spoke clear and sweet to his soul. He could even hear the voice of that little boy who had grown up far too fast and whose voice had grown fainter and fainter over the years. In the utter silence of that attic, the words of a six-year-old worked their magic and carried that old man back to a time almost totally forgotten. Entry after entry stirred a sentimental hunger in his heart like the longing a gardener feels in the winter for the fragrance of the spring flowers. But it was accompanied by the painful memory that his own son's simple recollections of those days were far different from his own. He wondered how different. He too had kept a daily journal of his business activities over the years, so he closed his son's journal and turned to leave. Hunched over to keep from bumping his head on the rafters, the old man stepped to the wooden stairway and made his descent down to a carpeted stairway that led to the den. Opening a glass cabinet door, he reached in and pulled out his own journal. He sat down at his desk and placed the two journals side by side. His was leather-bound and engraved neatly with his name in gold, while his son's was tattered and the name had been nearly scuffed off from the surface. He ran his fingers over the letters as though he could restore what had been worn away. As he opened his own journal, his eyes fell upon an inscription that stood out because it was so brief. In his own neat handwriting were these words. I wasted the entire day fishing with my son and we didn't even catch a thing. With a deep sigh and a shaking hand, he took his son's journal and found the boy's entry for the exact same day. Large, scrawling letters pressed deeply into the paper said, went fishing with my dad today, best day of my life. Why is spending time with our children so important? Research shows that children start learning as infants long before they ever reach school, long before they ever reach pathfinders. These same studies say parents are the children's first and most influential teachers, whether you want to be or not. Our children know us and they trust us. They learn from us and look to us as role models. They look to us to model Christian values and habits. <clears throat> parents have the most influence. It's sobering but true. The qualities that will determine how successful your children will be in school and in life are influenced most by you. Our challenge is to find ways to spend time, lots of undivided attention time with our children. Then we need to be the best influence we can be during that time we spend. Sounds odd, but it takes time to make time. 
it's worth it to spend an hour or two with your kids. So here's a few helpful suggestions. If you have a chance, share time in God's Word. When you are studying your Bible, invite them to read along with you. Review all of your memory verses. Go over the Sabbath school lesson. If your children see that you are serious about your faith, then it will be important to them as well. Uh, here's a quote I like. It says, don't prioritize your schedule. Instead, schedule your priorities. Your children should come first, and spending more time with them is a priority. You should set specific goals. For example, you should say, I will eat dinner with my family four nights a week, or we will study our Sabbath school lesson together every night. And lastly, this may be tough for some, cut back on the activities and to interfere with your goals. It may require making sacrifices. It helps to remember that our kids would actually rather have more time with us than they probably will admit. Christ gave His life for our children and for us because He desired us to form characters after His divine similitude, that we may enter in through the gates into the holy city and hear from the divine lips the benediction, well done, good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Do you not want to hear these words? Strive with all the power God has given you to gain the crown of everlasting life, that you may cast it at the feet of the Redeemer, and touching a golden harp, fill all heaven with rich music. What can give greater satisfaction than to be laborers together with God in educating and training our children and youth to love God and to keep His commandments? Lead the children whom you are instructing to Jesus. What can spread more sunshine through the soul of the interested, devoted worker than to show that his persevering, patient labor is not in vain? And to see these children have the sunshine of joy in their souls because Christ has forgiven their sins. What can be more satisfying to the worker together with God than to see children and youth receiving the impressions of the Spirit of God and to see the restoration of the moral image of God in our youth. Your children love you. How you choose to respond can make a huge difference. I found this quote uh, while I was preparing this sermon, and it just it struck me. When a child gives you a gift, even if it is just a rock they picked up, Exude gratitude. It might be the only thing they have to give, but they have chosen to give it to you. And that is very important. In your work for your children, take hold of the mighty power of God. Commit your children to the Lord in prayer. Work earnestly and untiringly for them, and God will hear your prayers. It is the privilege of Christian parents today, as it was the privilege of God's people of old, to bring their children with them to the promised land. You cannot take much with you to heaven. You can take your character, which should be a reflection of God's character, the very image of God in your heart and your mind, but you can have an influence. 
you can help to restore that same image in your children, in our youth, in this church. And in doing so, you can play a part in the youth being in heaven with Jesus Christ eternally. You want your household for God? You want your church for God? And we want our families for God. I would love to be able to say, when I get to the gates of the city, I will say to Jesus, here am I, Lord, and here are the children that you have given me. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we are your children, and you long to restore your image on our hearts and minds. Lord, please empower us. I know this is difficult. Please grant us the serenity, grant us the wisdom and the patience. Lord, these children you have given to us, you have entrusted to us, are really just 